I don't believe in heaven or hell. We experience the best of things and the worst of things in our lives. And that in and of itself is heaven and hell. Mm. It's right here. Because I've been living in hell. And then all of a sudden, I had this breath of heaven enter my life. I know now, looking back on that moment, that the moment that thought entered my being, my life started pulling me toward nature and Buddhism. Forgiving one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of See One Beautiful Soul. Konnichiwa, beautiful souls. This is Barbara Heller. Welcome back to See One Beautiful Soul. So happy you're here. I just want to remind you to go to barbheller.com to check out some of my cool courses on getting in touch with your inner voice wanting to do any creative projects. I am here for that. I love helping people extend and expand your creative voice from the inside out. And I'm really happy to say that starting next week, I'm going to be doing a five-day workshop called I Am Ready to Tell My Story. I've already got a bunch of people in there. So excited to hear what you guys have to share and to support you in your journey in creating that in fun interesting ways that actually light up the world and help us see your beautiful soul as well as others reflected through you. My guest today is my dear friend Sierra Sophia Mercier. You can find her at S-I-E-R-R-A-M-E-R-C-I-E-R.com. She is a triple gold medalist figure skater. Yes, you heard that correctly. Uh, She's also an incredible blogger and vlogger. She has multiple series on YouTube, including one called Love Set Run, which you'll hear more about in this episode. She's also a very accomplished actor and is constantly training for screen and stage. And she is just all heart and you'll see and feel her mission through her words as she speaks in this episode. So enjoy it. Good to see you. It is great to see you. I met you at a, a birthday party of a mutual friend. I feel really close to her, even though I hardly ever see her. And then we just got really close in the last year, which is crazy because I feel like I've known you my whole life. Yeah, it's wild. I, I feel the same. It was almost like we were connected the whole time that we weren't even talking. But then once we finally picked up the phone, that connection was like, oh, there it is. Yeah. We all live these super creative but super spiritual lives. And it's so rare to find that because people just don't talk about their spiritual practice. It's just not that heard in our business. I mean, do you find that? Yeah, I would totally agree. And I feel like there's just so many times when I know how much it would benefit people, especially in a creative field, because we're already so unmoored often and feeling so lost in what it is that we're doing. You know, we're all over the place. I feel like my spiritual practice has given me this foundation, this like solid foundation that I can always come back to and makes me feel like no matter how lost I might get out there, like (laughs) solid, I'm good. Yeah. And you really are. You're one of those people that when I'm speaking to you, especially in person, which we've been so lucky, we got to see each other a few times during COVID, very socially distant. Hopefully we won't take being in person for granted anymore. One of my favorite rabbis, Rabbi Yosef Konefsky, at the beginning of COVID, like literally the first week, he wrote this very deep impression article. I'll put it in the show notes, but discussing how he's been struggling for years. He himself and his congregation, B'nai David, when 
people would come to him. We all are complaining that we don't have time, we're so busy, but everyone's like on their phones and everyone's so inundated here. And he says, I think we got what we all really wanted. We got time to be on our phones as much as we possibly could want. And now it's the only way to actually be in touch with people. How sad. And don't miss the lesson. It would be so great to see you again in person because there is something that is so lost when it's like this, right? Mm -hmm. Even those of you listening to the podcast right now, it's so different hearing us and just our voices than seeing and smelling and just being around the energy of a person. Absolutely. When this whole pandemic first hit, I felt like our culture has been very egocentric, where it's all driven by the self needing to survive or get ahead. Like me, 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 my, 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 I gotta get this and, and do this. Disconnected from other. The ego causes us to view ourselves as separate from other. Then here comes this pandemic that shuts us off from actually connecting to others, which I think illuminated how much we really need each other. 100%. I really see this whole pandemic as as a global healing. I mean, weather-wise. And I hope people will get rid of <laughs> yeah, in their cars. So they have multiple cars because it really has made such an impact to not have as much oil and fossil fuels going all the time. And Absolutely, yeah. Environmental healing, but also spiritual healing. So that's one of the reasons I made this podcast is now what do we do with it? What do we do with all this time? What do we do with the thoughts that have been swirling now that we've actually had time to sit with our thoughts and not rush anywhere. I look at it as, as like a global Shabbat or Shabbos, however you say it, because I've been keeping Shabbat since I was 24. So 20 years I've been keeping Shabbat and it really changed my life. I want you to talk about being a Buddhist, if you don't mind, and how it came to you because it wasn't something you were dropped into as a, as a child. I was raised kind of loosely Jewish. I was raised in Idaho and there weren't a lot of Jews there. So my family wasn't like practicing or anything. And my dad's Jewish, my mom's not. Um, but I liked calling myself Jewish because nobody else was. And I liked <laughs> to be different. But I, I experienced, you know, anti-Semitism and, hmm. and also, also feeling left out because all my other friends were going to church and having these like social church gatherings and I was never a part of that. But when I was 16, I was a highly competitive figure skater and I relocated. I moved to Lake Arrowhead, California mm. for my training and I left my parents behind and I moved to this training center to train full time. Between the ages of 16 and 17, really like less than a year there, I moved from home to home. I was feeling anorexia and bulimia. I had injuries on my legs that were so painful. I was, I was overdosing on painkillers every single day just to be able to train. I was living in a really terrible situation at one point. Uh, and, um, and my coach even um, was he, he started to like psychologically manipulate me and um, eventually raped me. And so everything was just like really dark in my life. And I listened to a lot of screamo, emo music. I wrote dark poetry. I um, was just, my, my best friend was suicidal and I was on the phone until the wee hours like, every week just trying to keep her alive. So um, while I was also trying to train at an Olympic level, um, 
in my skating and just a lot of stuff going on. So I was sitting in my room one day and I was just thinking to myself, well, I, I know what I don't like about my life. What do I like? And in that moment, I decided I really like the view from my room because it just looks out into the forest and there was no evidence of human beings out my window and that's what made me happy and I was just meditating on the forest and these squirrels were chasing each other and these blue jays were flying around and the fog was really thick that day and it was like rolling slowly through the pine trees and they were wet and they were dripping with dew and you know I grew up in the mountains but it wasn't until then that I just really felt this profound appreciation for the beauty of nature. Mm. And in that moment, I just had this thought and I was like, you know, I don't believe I was calling myself atheist at the time, but I said to myself, Mm. I don't believe in heaven or hell. We experience the best of things and the worst of things in our lives. And that in and of itself is heaven and hell. Mm. It's right here because I'd been living in hell. And then all of a sudden I had this breath of heaven enter my life. Mm. And I just kind of carried that around with me for about five years. But I, I can, I know, I know now looking back on that moment that the moment that thought entered my being, my life started pulling me toward nature and Buddhism. And so five years after that thought came to me, I, I was meeting up with an old friend. We hadn't seen each other in four years, another skater. And this was a skater that, that I'd always admired. Every time I saw him skate, there was just something about him that I was really drawn to and gravitated toward. And he just had this like really soul deep presence on the ice. Uh, Michelle Kwan has it. And I, I like to believe I have it too. And so it was just kind of like this (laughs) recognition. It was just this recognition. Like I, I see you, you know, and so that's who I met up with and we were catching up and I told him that same story about heaven and hell and how I believe it's in our lives. And he goes, I didn't know you're Buddhist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, was, I was like, Oh, well, you know, I don't label myself, but I believe in reincarnation. And, and he said, well, I'd love to share my Buddhist practice with you. And I said, sure. So we, um, we spent like an hour and a half walking on the beach, talking about Buddhism. We went back to his place and he taught me kind of the basics of this particular type of Buddhism. Cause there's many different types of Buddhism as you would imagine. Mm-hmm. And so this particular type, we chant the mantra nam myoho renge kyo. So he introduced me to the mantra and he also introduced me to the concept called the 10 worlds. And it's this concept that there are 10 different states of being that we're capable of experiencing at any given point throughout the day, 
depending on our circumstances or not. And heaven and hell were two of those 10 worlds. And it was the same concept that this is, wow. this is a world in our lives, not a world you go to when you die, but right here, right now. And when I saw that, I just was like, other people believe that mm. there's a practice around it. And I was 22 years old and mm-hmm. I was just like, I, I think this is for me. Started chanting Nam Myoho Renge Kyo every day and started to study and learn more about this practice. And it is a practice, something you, you have to practice to get the most benefit out of. Sure. Um, but that's what I appreciate about it. Beautiful. So it's called, how do you say it? What kind of Buddhism? Nichi Ren. Nichi Ren. Is it Japanese Buddhism. originally? It sounds like Yes. It. I was 22, just graduated college, and everyone was buying Apple computers, the original 2E. I was like, I don't want a computer. I don't want something that comes in a box. I want to go out into the world instead of buying a computer for myself or a car or a down payment on an apartment. I took my bat mitzvah money, invested it into Disney stock midway through my college experience, and I took the money I got from, from Disney, and I bought it very expensive ticket that took me to Japan, Hong Kong, Thailand, and India. We have so many similarities in the way that we were raised. Also, when we got spiritual, whatever that means. Um, I think I was always spiritual. I just didn't know it. When I was 19, I started praying for the first time because a rabbi took me sort of under his wing and just dared me to go outside and talk to God. And going outside is the way that I love to pray, even if it's in a community, but I need to be outdoors. I just love it. So I had my like enlightenment at 19 and really felt God's presence in a new way. I think we're always feeling it. We just don't know it. And then when I was 24, that was my first real experience in a community talking to a rabbi for the first time. But that rabbi at 24, I had I had worked for it for like five years. Rabbi David Aaron, he's amazing. He's the one who told me to start this podcast at 24, hearing him speak for the first time. I was just like, I believe all of that. I just didn't know other people did too. And he also talked about reincarnation. And I had no idea, sadly, that that was a Jewish concept, a very Jewish concept. I had never been taught that in Hebrew school. I just love seeing the synchronicity of all that. You know, I wasn't even thinking that that experience was going to be tied to what I was going to say about forgiveness. But I think I it has to be. It took me a very long time to even voice it. It took me 10 years to tell my parents that it even happened. I, I've never felt like I've been a victim of it. You know, I, I, I did go to therapy and I worked through it and had support. It was really my Buddhist practice that I feel like saved me or, or really gave me direction. Hmm. We have a concept in Buddhism called changing poison into medicine. Stop right there. That is awesome. <laughs> the medicine I received from that poison in my life was the first benefit that I received in my Buddhist practice. Started practicing, I was chanting. This is not an instantaneous thing, but just naturally over the course of the first two to three years of my practice, what started coming out of my life was the realization that that event and other events like it occurred because I didn't value my life. I just want to give people context. So if you don't mind, you're 17 years old when this happened. And And it was ongoing. It started when I was 17. Like I had mentioned earlier, he was kind of psychologically grooming me. I have the chills as you say it. It's like I can feel the energy. I had this really random 
experience where I ended up having to do research on, on sexual predators and on pedophiles. And it had nothing to do with me. It was, it was research for somebody else. But it was through that research that I came to understand what happened to me. So it was on and so I, Yes. And so what happened to me is I had been groomed, for lack of eloquence, become a, a sex slave. My coach, he groomed me and made me feel very special, made me feel chosen, made me feel like he loved me. And I was young and a virgin and naive. And so I fell for that. And, and not only that, here's somebody who's in a position of superiority telling me what to do every single day on the ice. And I do it. I follow orders. And so when I was put into a situation where a very vulnerable situation, it was extremely hard to separate myself and feel like I even had a position of power to stand on. And so it was just very easy for him to manipulate me in that way. It went on for four and a half years. It was very messy. He had a girlfriend. They ended up getting engaged. He got her pregnant and he's still like trying to see me. This was back then. So like around the four four year, four and a half year mark, that started happening. And uh, that's when I'm something in my life was like, get me out of here. Got out of that situation. Thank God. Thank God. When I started my practice, so I was 22. And then four or five months after I got out of that situation, I encountered this Buddhist practice. Hmm. And so then from that point forward, in the first two, three years of my practice, what came out of my life was just this realization. This practice is to reflect on yourself and reflect on what you need to change and what you need to work on really quite natural honestly but what came, what came up was realizing like wow i allowed men to abuse me and treat me less than i deserve because i didn't recognize the value of my life i didn't love myself it was really all rooted in a lack of self-worth that's what i just started kind of working on and determining and and realizing like i am whoever I end up with is going to be the luckiest man alive. And I vow to never let anyone treat me less than I deserve. So once you make a determination like that, the universe is going to test you. It's going to bring you opportunities to test you on that thing. Was it like, oh, I got it? No, hmm. of course not. I'd have other instances or opportunities where a man would come into my life. It would seem better, like they respect me. but then something would happen and it was clearly obvious that they didn't respect me at all. And our environment is a reflection of us. Whatever's going on in our environment, we need to take the responsibility to see like, how am I complicit in this? What's going on in my environment trying to teach me about myself or tell what me about What am I saying myself. yes to? Yeah. I had to learn that lesson over and over and over again, but I did. That's the thing. It's like you, I was making my way through the mud and then the universe rewarded me. I met my true love mate, my soulmate. I'm certain that if the work that I did to understand and believe in my deep inherent value, not from an egoic place of like, I'm the shit, or it's more like I am a valuable person in this 
world. I am not going to let anyone treat me less than the way I deserve to be treated. When you respect yourself in that way, that's what's going to show up in your environment. Yep. Going back to the topic of forgiveness, I really want to talk about forgiving yourself because everything starts from there. Yeah. And I actually had a really incredible experience about forgiving myself. And it's a, it's a little exercise, so I want to share it in case anybody wants to try this. Oh, my God. So you're combining I'm... all three questions right now. That's not fair. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Overachiever. No, no, no. It's great. Of course you would do that because you get everything so deeply. <laughs> so I was at this, this retreat center, and you know, healing retreat center, and, and they encouraged us to, or I don't know, they encouraged me to do this. So I, I went down and I wrote down everything that I wanted to forgive myself for mm. that I can think of in my entire life. You know, mm. I had probably like 120 plus things. It's like, I forgive myself for ever thinking that I was fat. I forgive myself for wow. putting, putting myself through so much pain. I forgive myself for getting in trouble that one time, you know, I forgive myself for not being the, the best daughter, whatever, you know, mm. everything, everything you can possibly think of. So I did this exercise. I sat down and I wrote it all out and I'm crying and I'm like, you know, it's, it's a workout really just to get it out on paper, but it felt like such a release just even writing it down. And then I'm like looking at this piece of paper and it feels so heavy mm. because it contained the weight of all of that, all that stuff I need was carrying around. Mm. It like was literally this like brick mm. and I took it to this fire pit and I sat at the fire pit I, and I got really, I got really <laughs> still with the fire and intentional. And I went through my list again with the fire and read out everything that mm-hmm. I forgive myself for. And when I got to the end, I threw it in the fire and it was, it was like wow. instant ash. Oh, wow. And that, just like blew my mind that <laughs> this, all of this stuff I'd been carrying around and feeling shame for. You could let it was, go. was gone. Yeah. Just like that in an instant. And it was so beautiful yeah. just to see that instant, like disappearing. Yeah. Beautiful. And so I feel like, like forgiveness, that, that, that's exactly what it does for us. Anything that we are holding on to and not forgiving is just extra weight that we're carrying. And the moment that we can forgive ourselves for whatever that is, no matter how small or big it is, that weight is gone. Yeah. It's lifted. Beautiful. Do you have moments when this tormentor or someone who used to try to torment you, if you ever have a memory of him or something reminds you of him, 
or does it? Is it like completely gone or do you feel like there are moments because you're human that you have that it comes up? How do you get through those moments? Do you feel like you need to go to the fire again? Honestly, I feel like what has helped me get through those times has been compassion. Oh my God. You're on such a freaking high level. And, and, and not to sound like I'm some sort of... Mother Teresa. I'm, I'm really trying to come from the most genuine, authentic place. That truly is what has helped me heal it all. I recognize that his actions came from a place of, he didn't receive the love that he needed in his uh, upbringing. He was never taught how to love or how to treat a woman. He knew what he was doing and, and it was coming from a very selfish place. Maybe, maybe it's just because I knew him on a personal level, like we were also friends. He let me in that way as well. That I saw where he really, he lacked a lot of love in his life. Karma is real. <laughs> and it has, it has really taken its toll on him. He's, he's really suffered since everything. And when I was 25, I saw him again. He tried to sleep with me again. And I was at a different point in my life by then. And I was like, uh, no, mind you, he was also married. Cause remember he got engaged and he got her pregnant. So oh by the God. time I was 25, he was married and had a child and he still tried to put a move on me. And I said, what are you doing? Like, no, you're, you're married. You have a child. And, and he, he just didn't see anything wrong with it. I, that gave me an opportunity to prove to the universe that I had grown and changed. And I made a declaration right then and there. And I said, I don't want that. I want to be with a man who who loves me so much he couldn't imagine being with another woman. And I want to feel that way about a man. And he said to me that that doesn't exist. And he said, come back in 10 years and tell me you found that. Oh my God. Well, I, f I found that in less than a year after I declared that. But since then, he, he had another child with the same woman, but he told me, that he was cheating on her. They have since departed, they split up. He lost his business and he had to flee the country. He's, he had to flee the country or he chose to? I think he had to. Maybe he chose to, but uh, I think he had to. And he never went to jail for anything he did because I'm sure you're not the only person he abused. Yeah, no, I'm not. And you never filed charges or anything? Mm -mm. Wow, you are holy. You are a holy soul. I don't know how someone can be as strong as you. I just am so moved. Like I'm crying uh, since you started talking about having compassion for him. It's just, it's such a simple thing. But I have so many friends who are still suffering from their abuse because they're so angry. I think anger, it's so apparent to me. When I met you, and then when we started talking more deeply about what had happened in our lives, I would never in a million years believe that you went through that. 
because it, it really does feel like it went into the fire that day. Like you are just such a radiant, your soul. I think it's really evident to anyone who gets the honor to meet you and share space with you. And now I know why. Not that I needed to know why. You don't need to know why, why someone's a pure, radiant, illuminated soul. But sometimes if you're lucky and they spend enough time with you, you get to see it. You know, I can see your beautiful soul. You really are compassionate. We get really good at what we practice. I have friends that practice being angry because ang anger is the underbelly of, of pain. Put up anger because they're trying to build a fence around the pain so we won't get hurt, but it actually winds up hurting us more and we suffer. And that's the whole reason I started this podcast because I had enough people in my life say, oh, I don't talk to my brother anymore. I don't talk to my dad. And I'm not advocating that everyone go out and talk to their abuser or someone who has really hurt them. But I am trying with all my power and my to get all of us, including myself, when something happens, because it will, because we're human and we are half animal and flesh and half soul. Sometimes the animal part wins and sometimes ego wins. When it does, can we have the strength and the courage to say, oh, I wonder what this is here to teach me versus you hurt me and I'm not going to forget, definitely not going to forgive. And I'm going to hold on to it because when we do that, you're holding. It hurts so much to hold. And it feels so good to release and let go of something. But we think, and maybe it's because of capitalism and the ads that we watch that we have to watch just to walk across the street or whatever, they're everywhere. We're just inundated with, don't do that. Don't do that. Be it, get ahead, step on people while you're doing it constantly. And I really pray for him that if he is still alive, that he finds his way. And if he's in the next world, that his next go around is, is a lot easier and that he become more conscientious and conscious. But enough about him. The way you met your husband is like out of a movie. Everything about your life is out of a movie. The way you met your husband, the fact that the knot chose you to be their very first on-camera wedding and they paid for everything. This tormentor, moron, sorry, <laughs> whatever. This teacher, this heavenly teacher that was put in your life who you have so much compassion for because you're a very gifted human tells you there's no way you're ever going to meet somebody who is who sees your worthiness and treats you like gold. And you meet him nine months later? Seven, seven months. months. Okay. Seven is like a really holy number in Kabbalah. <laughs> so I love seven. Okay. I love seven too. When I encountered my coach and again, and he brought this declaration out of my life. He's yeah. not a tormentor. He's not even a teacher. He was your coach. I just want to throw that in there. He was given to you as a coach. Yes. Period. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you're, you're, where were you? I was visiting Southern California because I was determined to move to LA. And so okay. I came out here in early 2011 just to like feel it out, see where I wanted to live, that kind of stuff. I made this declaration. I went home to Idaho and I had tried to move to LA five different times and every single time something came up that prevented me from going. But how I was approaching it was like, okay, I'll, I'll move this month or I'll move that month. Meanwhile, I'm chanting. I've been chanting to move to LA and manifest the perfect living situation. So convinced that I could manifest exactly what I wanted, that I was going to manifest a one bedroom in Santa Monica in a safe neighborhood for under a thousand dollars a month with a washer and dryer. My vision of a perfect, yes. All these things started happening that I was like, oh, I can't move this month. It got to the point where I was like, if I don't set a freaking date, mm. I am never leaving. 
I was like, all right, whatever is going on my, in my life, it doesn't matter, but I am leaving on 11, 11, 11. <laughs> those are my lucky numbers. Then this whole opportunity came for me to go to New York and audition for the Ice Theater and travel through wow. Toronto and visit friends. And so I actually returned to Idaho after being away for three weeks with three days left before the 11th of November. And so I just quickly like packed up whatever would fit in my car. And on 11, 11, 11, I said, see ya, I'm leaving. <laughs> and I drove to LA, thought I had a place to stay, <laughs> emailed with this family that I had nannied with in the past. And I knew they had a, a guest house. I had thought that I had arranged to land there and stay with them while I got my feet on the ground. So the day that I arrive in LA, show up at their door and I'm like, you know, thank you so much for letting me stay in your guest house. I'm happy to pay rent if you'd like. I'm hoping I find a place within like one to three months max. The, the husband was looking at me like I was from Mars and he was like, uh, you can stay for two weeks. But then we're renting it out. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you so much. <laughs> and I was like mortified. I was so embarrassed. And I, I just was like, okay, thank you so much. You know? And I, I ran across the street because their guest house was across the street. And I unpacked my altar and I started chanting. I took this one bedroom that I had visualized for a year and I chucked it out the window and I just made this new determination. I was like, I just want to find the best place for me, whatever that is. But simultaneously, I had moved to LA with the determination that I'm going to become an acting. I was like, I just want to focus on acting and Buddhism <laughs> and I don't want to date. Guys are a distraction, none of that. And so this is where our, our human strategic minds really can get in the way. We think that it needs to look away a certain way and happen a certain way and be a certain way, but the possibilities are actually limitless and they're really much better if we allow the universe to provide for us. I think it's great to have an intention and let the universe know where you want to go. Yes. Be open to what what the universe wants to actually give you because it might be better than what you envision in the first place. I was very, nope, not gonna date, just gonna <laughs> chant and act. I'm gonna and chat. Course, chant and act. Chat. And then of course, m m several guys popped up and wanted to date me or whatever. And, um, and I was definitely the type where I wanted, I, you know me, I'm really friendly friends with anybody. Another thing and, we have in common. And so I'm like that way with men as well. But most guys don't want to be friends. Let's be real. I left a lot of doors open. And, and especially with, with former relationships too. It was like I never, I had this fear of like really cutting anybody out. So I always kind of left doors. But I moved to LA with this intention. And the day I arrived, this whole living situation that I thought I had I don't have. And so I just start chanting, I'm going to find the best place for me, whatever that is. And I start looking online, uh, Craigslist and Padmapper and Westside Rentals, Facebook. And I ended up 
finding this ad uh, through PadMapper. If you don't know how PadMapper works, go look it up. It's a great way to find a place to live. It took me to this Craigslist ad. It was just like perfectly written, no spelling or grammatical errors. Very important. I want to know that my roommate knows apostrophes. Yes. Lovely pictures. And so I answer the ad. Oh, oh, by the way, it's hand signed. It has like a digital signature on it. And it was just this beautiful ad. And I'm like, oh, I like this, but affordable. So I answer the ad and it's this young man and he's like, uh, he called me back and he said, well, can you come tonight to see a place? And I said, no, I, I'm going out with a friend. Um, I can come tomorrow morning. And, and he was like, okay, well, I have to go to work. And so can you come at, you know, kind of early? I said, sure. And he said, um, well, why don't you add me on Facebook? And I just knew, all right, he's checking me out. That's fine. I want to check him out too. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to live with this person. And, and so I see his Facebook and I'm like, oh, he's really handsome. <laughs> and oh, I better look cute when I go see him tomorrow. <laughs> I get all dolled up and I go to see the place the next day. And we sit down in the kitchen and just kind of like get to know each other really quick. And we find out we have a, a lot in common. We're both booted. We both love snow sports and we're both artists. We're the same age. So we just hit it off and he was like, a couple hours later, he texted me and he was like, you know what? I just have a good feeling about you. You want to be my wife? Fill out an application? <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Uh, I said, yeah, sure. So I filled out an application. I qualified and two weeks later, I moved in. We were officially roommates. We had spent one night together as roommates. And then the second night that we were together, uh, we were celebrating with a bottle of wine. One bottle led to two bottles. And, and he kissed me at one point during the night. I said to him, I was like, look, I'm at a point in my life where I want a real relationship. And if you don't want that, it's totally fine. I think we're good enough friends. We could laugh this off, but we're going to have to like stop and I'll, I'll just go to my room and, <laughs> and go down the hall. <laughs> and I'm going to go back to my place. <laughs> <laughs> we need a new sponge, but I'm going to go back to my place. And we ended up just staying up and talking about, you know, like, where are you in your life? And do you feel ready for a relationship? He just like grabbed me and he kissed me really hard. And, and he said, yes, I want to make this work. And wow. I was like, okay, I still think I should go back to my room. <laughs> I'm a little strong, Romy. I just moved in. It was like 3.30 in the morning by this point. And he's like, please stay with me. And I was like, stay with me in the living room. Don't go all the way back. No, he didn't have any furniture. So we were hanging out on his bed. Scary territory. <laughs> a week later, I came home and he'd written on with, with rose petals on my bed, will you be my girlfriend? Crying again. But I was instructed by a spiritual friend, guide in my life. She said I needed to close the other doors if I wanted to walk through that final, that last door. And I knew exactly what she meant. And so I wrote to all these men who were interested in dating me or that I had left doors open when I, I wrote them all messages and I just said, thank you for being a part of my life. And I found someone that I'm serious about seeing and I wish you 
all the best. It was so hard. <laughs> I may make it sound easy, but it was really a challenge, but it was necessary for sure. And then again, the universe tested me because one of those guys came back and was like trying to pull me away. But I, because I had already made that decision and taken action on it, I knew that I had to stay the course and trust. And so I, I did, I trusted where I was and it meant having to hurt this person, it meant having to lose that person, which is something I, I hate doing, but I stayed the course. And it was a month after we met that we like fell in love. We knew you're the one I want to spend the rest of my life with. Oh God. <laughs> so, and such a romantic. I'm dying. <laughs> I had the biggest emotional purge of my life after that. It was a spiritual healing that occurred, that happened, that came out of my life from falling in love with him. We got engaged nine months later, and then I came across this online sweepstakes center to win the Not Dream Wedding. One lucky couple win a wedding prize package valued at $100,000, including a honeymoon. The catches, you don't get to pick anything. It's all voted on. America's going to vote on what your wedding is going to be like. Tell and us it's amazing. It's all televised. You can see it online. Just, Just tell us why YouTube. your story is so unique and romantic and why you should win. And I was like, Andre, we're perfect for this. We have to enter. And he was like, no one ever wins those things. I was like, who cares? We did. And we, we were selected as finalists. And then we came down to a three-day vote. The couple that earned the most votes in three days won the wedding. And we campaigned super hard. We did everything in our power, totally grassroots style. Long story short, they announced live on Skype to us that we had won. We got married in Bryant Park on Valentine's Day, the day that everyone celebrates love. And there's an ice rink in Bryant Park every winter. And I got to give a skating performance at my wedding, which truly was like the highlight of my skating career. <laughs> medals and titles and things that I'd always been driven by and that seemed so important to me. It was actually this, you know, getting to skate for my new husband and our families and our friends that was greatest gift. My mom's a florist and thought was like, oh, my mom will, of course, do my wedding flowers. But this way, like, they handled everything. To. My mom didn't have to. She just got to enjoy. Yeah. And that was like the greatest gift too. Andre and I have always believed that our, our love is, it's not just for us, it's for the world. Mm -hmm. And that what we've been given is a privilege and it's our duty to, to give back in some way, any way possible. And so when we won this wedding, we told the knot that we would do charity work on our honeymoon and called it a charity moon. And so we, we ended up doing some tsunami relief cleanup work in Japan, and we worked at an elephant sanctuary in Thailand and an orphanage in Bali. Um, but, you know, we just kind of got a little taste of what that, that is like. And then fast forward, I think it was five years later in 2017, we embarked on this five and a half month around the world backpacking trip, filming a travel series based on making travel altruistic and how to get involved with local communities and organizations. And our series is called Love Set Run, which is an anagram for the word volunteers. 
you know, we just have seen the power of love and how it provides so much. Even <laughs> even friends and family, uh, girlfriends of mine who had become so jaded and bitter and felt like they've given up on love and don't believe in it. Um, my One of my bridesmaids was in that place. And then she said after our wedding, she said, your wedding made me believe that true love really does exist. And um, then she ended up meeting her man and I was a bridesmaid in her wedding. And so, yeah, we've just always felt like our love is is it's for others it's not just for us and we want to we want to inspire people to really believe that it does exist that in order to have that kind of love in your life you have to be that kind of love in your life to everything and everyone around you the more love you give the more you receive be the love you wish to have in your life yeah oh my god Sierra Sophia, I don't have any words. It's like the only thing I can draw a comparison to is that rabbi who I was telling you about, Rabbi David Aaron. So I was my sister's maid of honor, and I'm about to walk her down the aisle. And right before we walk through the gates, everyone's waiting, and she gets a phone call, and I'm holding her phone, and I have I'm about to put it down, but the the number is like a foreign number, and I know that it's an Israeli number because I know the the first three digits, and I'm like, oh my god, it's Israel. I wonder if it's Rabbi Aaron because he couldn't come. And I just I pick up the phone, and she's like, what are you doing? We're about to, and I was like, it could be Rabbi Aaron, and she's like, oh, and so she stops and. I hear him go, Kathy, and I hand the phone to her, and she's talked about this publicly, so I feel like I can share it. And she says, I'm about to walk down the aisle, and he goes, oh, gosh. And she goes, can you give me a blessing? And he goes, wait a minute. I need, I need a minute. I can't just give you a blessing. I have to, like, actually think about it, and, you know, this is a lot of pressure. He goes, give me a minute. And so she's like, okay, I'll wait. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? He says a few things. She hands me the phone back, and she goes, let's do this. And she had tears streaming down her face, but we knew, we knew that, you know, the Heller sisters, she, the whole day she's going to be crying. So this was just the beginning. And when it was all said and done, maybe a couple days later, I don't know, we were having this conversation very soon after her wedding. And she talks about it. She actually wrote a song about it. And the blessing he gave her is exactly what you just said. He said, may your love be so strong that when other people see you, two together they believe in true love wow i have chill and i was engaged once i told you that and he's such a good person and i just i was turning 38 when i met him i was 37 and i had gone on so many dates before i met him and i even wrote a show about it called finding barb about my 100 match made and i did not want to go on 100 dates i wanted to be married by 30 at the latest i started dating for marriage when i was 24 or 25 and 30, 30 was too late. It was like, it was already five years I'd been dating, but I was dating this like one kind of Jewish guy. And I was doing the thing that I put myself in a box and it was so uncomfortable. And I finally let go of that. I met this great guy um, at 32 and he was like the first real love of my life. And I finally fell in love for the first time and it was amazing, but I knew that wasn't going to last. It was like, he was the first, you know, it was like, took me that long to trust somebody and be in love, but it, you know, it's not always the first love that you get to marry or feel like it. And then from 32 to 37, I was really in recovery. I was like really trying to pick up the pieces of 
you know, growing up in a house where I, I definitely didn't know if love was ever going to exist. There was domestic violence. There was a lot of screaming and yelling and not making a lot of space for me and my sister. And, and then became super religious or whatever that means and got really into this one kind of dating to protect myself and put myself in boxes to protect. And then when I'm 37, about to be 38, I finally just make a declaration. I say, God, I just want to get married. I'm sorry. I've been so critical. Just put the right person in front of me, get me married. I didn't ask for love. I mean, I, I hoped I said I would, I would love to be in love, but it seems like all the people I've been following the advice of, they say, you know, don't put so much pressure on it. Just let your, you know, just get married and the love will come get married. That's a very Jewish concept. Also Indian too. And so I did a lot of stuff that summer. I went to two different dating events, like in different, like one was in Portland, one was in Boston. And I like spent so much money on these like huge dating events, like these weekend long things and traveled and put in so much time. And I met him right in between the two on like a, a J date, whatever profile. And he was so sweet and he really wanted to get married. We both had the right goals and we were both were in the right frame of mind, but we both, I guess, didn't believe in true love because what wound up happening was we were forcing it the whole time. We finally get engaged and I'm just, I'm just a wreck. I'm just full of anxiety. And the day that I broke up with him was the eve of my 39th birthday. And I had to break off an engagement. And I just remember this feeling like, I just want to be in love, you know? And um, I actually went with one of my really close friends at the time. I invited 36, because 36 is like a really Jewish number. I invited 36 of my girlfriends to come join me at the wedding place because my parents spent six thousand dollars on it just to reserve the place it was going to be an extra like two to three thousand to like rent it and then all the costs of the wedding but it cost six thousand dollars that we didn't get back and so i i wanted to go there just to see if they were re-renting it and then like you know doubling down and we would like catch them in the act that was the first reason because i i can be businessy sometimes rarely but i wanted to make sure it was the justified thing and secondly, I thought, it's already rented. It's a beautiful vineyard. So I asked 36 of my girlfriends to come with me. We would bring vision boards and we would make them there. And, you know, I was trying to turn into like a mindfulness session and do arts and crafts and pray together. And I brought wine. I brought snacks. I like it. And it's far. It's a hike. Some people said they'd come. Some people said they'd try to stop by. Nobody showed up except for one very holy soul. If you had, if you, if you and I had been friends, then you would have come. I know you would have. For sure. For sure. And I said, we need to elevate this space because there's so much sorrow here. And she goes, absolutely. And so we took out our Tehillim, we took out our Jewish prayer books and we prayed. And I had like an hour there by myself before she came. And I heard, she texted me, she's like, I'm on my way. And she sat with me. And then I said, can you take my phone? And so there's this video of me, which I really want to include in the movie one day, if it ever becomes a movie. I go up into the vineyard, up in, like I, I'm wearing heels, I'm wearing this little white dress, like because it was like quasi like getting married to myself. And I bought this special dress for the occasion and everything. And I, I, I say, hold my phone, and I'm going to go up into the vineyard. And so I'm standing in these like wine fields. 
and I look into the camera and I say, you better show up because I did this for you. <laughs> because I really, I believed in love so much more than just getting, and maybe because I was at my sister's wedding. I still do. And it's five years. You completely surpassed my expectations. I can't stop crying. Um, <laughs> happy tears. No, no, no. You're, the words that come out of your mouth are moving. And I just want to really give you a blessing. You really see your one beautiful soul and how much of an impact you can have on this world. I know we talk a lot about you being an actor because you're so good at it and you love it. As you're talking this whole time, I'm just like, you're a TED talker. You're, you're an author. You're a speaker. You know, you, you are so much more than just you know, reading lines off of a page. I know that you can have a huge impact as an actor. And I also feel like I'm just supposed to tell you this, that this is really something you're supposed to do. Really like change the whole, you are already, already changing the whole world, but that's, that's my blessing to you. Thank you. I received that 120%. I just am so grateful to you. So I don't want to take I'm so grateful to you. <laughs> And here are some takeaways from today's episode. Turn your poison into wisdom. Oh, I just love that phrase. I think it's awesome. Think about all the things in your life that might be hurting you or making you feel suffering thoughts and feelings. How could you turn those into wisdom? Whenever you make a declaration to change something in your life, the universe will conspire with you to help you test that and see how much you really want to change that. So as soon as you make a declaration, you'll see there will be a test. Whatever is going on in your environment is a direct reflection of your inner world. Ask yourself, how am I complicit in this? What am I saying yes to in this situation? Here's a great mantra. I am valuable inherently and will not be treated less than I deserve. Forgiveness starts with forgiving myself. Here's an exercise. Write down every single thing you forgive yourself for. Cry it out if you need to. And it may feel super heavy, the list I mean, but then you realize that you've been carrying all of this heaviness around, say it out loud, maybe in front of a little fire, be very safe when you do this, and then see if you can burn it in a fire pit of some sort. Compassion can get you through the hurt, the memories, the painful moments. Now recognize that you may have a tormentor or a few people in your life that have caused you quote unquote suffering. Now you have allowed that in in some way. So remember that they may have never been taught tools the way you are right now, taking care of your brain and your emotions and your heart by listening to podcasts like this one or reading books that can really help you, uh, taking courses that are experiential learning, uh, doing meditation, mantras, all of those things really feed our soul. They feed our brain. The people who you might call quote unquote tormentors or anyone who has caused you challenges in your life. Those people may have never been taught how to love. They also may have never taken the time to learn tools to help them with their own suffering. And hurt people hurt people. Look for cosmic clues you know about the tormentor that might be present in your life. Karma is real and the tormentor will be taken care of even if you can't see it in this lifetime. And it's none of your business how the karma gets worked out. Don't make it a habit to sit around and go, well, how is that person getting punished and how are they suffering? 
It's none of your business. It doesn't even matter. And it's very futile to actually sit around and think about that. Just know that it happens and it will happen if it hasn't already. Be bold and make declarations. It could take less than a year to achieve them. Don't let your human mind get in your way. We all are sometimes guilty of thinking that things have to turn out a certain way and look and appear a certain way, but they wind up so much better actually if we just allow whatever the universe wants. The possibilities are endless. They are endless. So if that's the case, we can't possibly think about all the possibilities and how they'll end up or what they'll look like. In order to open up to the right doors though, sometimes we need to shut the ones that aren't working. True love does indeed exist. And when you believe in it, it will appear. It may take a little bit of time, but it's always there. In order to have that kind of love in your life, you have to be that kind of love in your life to everything and everyone around you. The more love you give, the more you'll receive in all of your relationships and be that love that you wish to receive and it will come and find you. Thank you so much for being here. Please subscribe if you're listening to this for the first time on Spotify or on iTunes and leave a comment somewhere, whether it's on your Instagram or Facebook page, C1 Beautiful Soul. Also have a community group called the C1 Beautiful Soul Community Group on Facebook. Uh, Please write to us there post whatever you want about these episodes, what you loved, what you found challenging that you're grappling with. This is a community for you that's set up by us for you. And we want you to utilize it. Um, Our speakers come back, our guests come back, and they get into that group as well. If there was a line from this particular episode that really spoke to you and you think it could actually heal or lift someone's spirits, please write it down or send them the timestamp of where it was in the actual podcast and forward it to them by text, through WhatsApp, through Telegram, I'm on that now too, uh, through Facebook, through Instagram, if you can screenshot it and share it with people. We really want to get these messages out. We really feel that some of the content in our podcast can really heal people, especially right now if they're home alone, dealing with the difficulties of this pandemic in any way, shape, or form. At the moment, vitamin I for inspiration is key. Don't just rely on vitamin D and powdered C and vitamin B and zinc. We also need inspiration for our brains and our hearts and our minds and our souls. And we really believe that these podcast episodes can do that for people. So please forward it on and go out there and be the light and the love that you want to attract in this world. For I believe that is the best contagious thing you can put into the universe at this moment. Arigato kamisawa which means thank God in Japanese. Thank you for joining us. Please stay in touch. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode can inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always.